Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father, we are so thankful to be able to gather together and study about you and turn our hearts together in love towards you. We pray that your spirit will join us and enlighten us and enable us to share this message about you with the world. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing lesson number three in the quarterly, the least of these, ministering to those in need. And the title lesson is Sabbath, a day of freedom. And what do you think of the title of the lesson? Throughout your life experience, when you heard Sabbath was the first thing you thought, a day of freedom. Is that, has, your, has that been your experience throughout life? Good for you. We have one person that's experienced it that way. Two people. Okay, good. Anybody else? Did most of you experience that way? That was not how I experienced it growing up. It wasn't a day of freedom. It wasn't in the Adventist school systems that I went through. It was not a day of freedom. You know, the, the universities, uh, you, you, the, the doors were locked. The, the guys couldn't go over and pick the girls up until the sun went down on, on Sabbath. Okay? <laughs> in some places. I mean, there were rules you had to abide by on the Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm. But if the Sabbath is a rule, notice the if. If the Sabbath is a rule imposed by God that we're required to keep on threat of punishment... How is it a day of freedom? If that's what it is. Have, ha, has anyone ever presented it that way? Have you ever heard it presented that way? Can you get freedom by imposing rules? Was the Sabbath in existence before earth was made? No. Then if not, how could the angels have freedom without this day of freedom? If it was not needed for angels in heaven prior to the creation of the earth, why is the Sabbath needed now and for eternity future? We don't know what the angels have. Maybe they have something that they do. Okay, but is it the weekly Sabbath? No. Okay, so that's the question. If they don't have the Sabbath prior to creation of this world, why will it be necessary for why is it necessary? Why do we need it as human beings made for man? It's the memory verse. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Mark 2.27. Why was it made for us? And why will it be observed in eternity future? If the angels didn't need it. It shows us what kind of God made the earth and us. Okay, I know that. I love that. To celebrate creation. Okay, I love that. Yes, Wendell? I may be a divergent view um, from... Edwin's idea of utopia for heaven, but if I think that the laws of the universe are the universe of decay of without input of energy, you have decay of something, then we're going to always need re-input of energy, of reminding, for reminding of who we are, of who God is, etc. That's going to be a continual need to be refreshed. Sure, and that's how the universe works before sin. Uh, the Ancient of Days takes his throne, and rivers of fire come out from before him, and 10,000 times 10,000, thousands and thousands live in this, and this fire is, is, is not combustion. This is the fire of God's life-giving glory, which is the giving of infinite energy for those who live in it. And Adam and Eve, prior to sin, were clothed in light. Um, and what was that light uh, representative of? Where is it coming from? It was the life-giving energy coming from God that was flowing through them. And so I agree with you. We'll have to have that. And there won't be decay because we're in perfect harmony with the source of infinite energy. 
But it may be more than just a reminder, it may be a celebration as well, an eternal celebration of what happened here. And in that way, a reminder, but also an extreme appreciation for what the God who made this giant universe did for just our puny little planet and us. So the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. What does it mean? Those are the words. What does it mean? If I said, the YMCA is made for people. People are not made for the YMCA. What would you understand that to mean? Is that hard to understand? What happens if people utilize the YMCA that was made for people? What happens to those who utilize it? What happens to people who do not utilize it or anything else like it? Is the YMCA made for people become a rule that's enforced on threat of punishment? Or is it something there for their benefit if they choose to partake of it? Is this what Jesus meant about the Sabbath? The Sabbath was made for man. Is the Sabbath to be some use to us in some way? Some type of resource that is built by God into reality to impact us in some way when we utilize it. God's answer to stress. Okay, God's answer to stress. We're going to get to that in the lesson. That's, that's, but, but it was given to Adam and Eve in Eden. Hmm. Did they need to have stress management techniques? You think they... The, the hard part of the commandment is six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Do you think that part of the command was in... It's in the lesson. We're going to get to that. Okay, we're going to get to that. Jumping ahead. So I want to focus on this, this question right now. What, what was its purpose of the Sabbath? What was it made for? The day set aside to examine the evidence. Oh, I love where you're going with that. What God had done was in a rebuttal to what Satan had accused him of. Ah, so remember the Sabbath day to keep it. Holy. If we were to build a golden calf and have an orgy of pagan worship during the Sabbath hours, have we made the Sabbath less holy? No. If we spend the Sabbath hours in total righteousness, have we made the Sabbath more holy? No. So when it talks about keeping the Sabbath holy, is it actually talking about the Sabbath day, or is it talking about keeping yourselves holy? Can you keep yourself holy one day in seven? No. Notice the language of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was made for man to aid humankind in holiness, in keeping ourselves holy. And what would you say holiness is? How would you describe holiness? To rediscover a whole relationship with God. To rediscover a relationship with God. I like where you're going with that. Uh, healthy. Keep yourselves healthy. Healthy. I like where you're going with that. Both are true. And holy can also mean totally. Holy. Holy. God. How about this? Holiness is the state in which we are in harmony with God in all aspects of our life. We have been reconciled and restored to unity and harmony with him in all aspects of our life. That's holiness. Yes or no? Yes. 
So the Sabbath was designed, given by God, for our holiness. Remember, I'm the Lord who makes you holy. It says that many times it's connected to our restoration in some way to holiness, to living in harmony with God's character, protocols, methods, his design laws. And how do you think the Sabbath does that? Well, consider this quote from Ellen White and see if you think this quote says what I just said. The Sabbath was given to all humankind to commemorate the work of creation. Uh, By the way, this is in uh, Christ Triumphant, page 355. God sanctified and blessed the Sabbath uh, day, uh, the day in which he rested from all his wondrous works, and this Sabbath, sanctified by God, uh, was to be kept for a perpetual covenant. It was a memorial that was to stand from age to age till the close of earth's history. Every person has been placed on trial, as were Adam and Eve in Eden. As the tree of knowledge was placed in the midst of the Garden of Eden, so the Sabbath command is placed in the midst of the Decalogue. In regard to the fruit of the tree of knowledge, uh, the restriction was made. You shall not eat of it, lest ye die. Of the Sabbath, God said, you will not defy it, defile it, but keep it holy. As the tree of knowledge was the test of Adam's obedience, so the fourth commandment is the test that God has given to prove the loyalty of all his people. Freedom, remember? (laughs) Don't you feel free after hearing that? Yes. What do you hear? When you hear this, what law lens are you hearing it through? Always drop back to it. How do I understand God's law? Is God's law work like human law? System of rules that he has to oversee and force and police and punish. Is that how I'm hearing this? Or do I hear God's laws as he is the creator? The protocols upon which reality are built to operate. How am I hearing it? Has an invitation. Did you notice the Sabbath has a beginning? It was made for man at the end of creation week. It began at point in time. It wasn't always in existence. Yet, does God's law have a beginning? Or is it eternal? Laws are eternal. Awareness was new. So, but the Sabbath has a beginning. Get your mind around this. God's law emanates from his being. It is the protocols upon which reality are built. But the Sabbath had an origination date. Yes. But different creatures have different laws. So if I were a warbler, I would have a law that I needed to go to South America at a certain time. And so God's different creatures may have different designs built into them. And we have the design of the need for a Sabbath. Okay. Interesting. Well, just like the YMCA, once you go to get better there, you have to follow rules inside that. You can't just do your own thing and say, I'm free, I'm going to just use and misuse and use and all that. What was the Sabbath created for? Do you agree that the Sabbath has a beginning? Yeah. Do you agree that God's law does not? Then you understand there's something about the Sabbath that was necessary at a point in time It became necessary, but there was a point in time it wasn't needed. Remember, the Sabbath was for holiness, to aid us in holiness, to keep ourselves holy. Do you hear this idea of aiding us in holiness in the quote that I just read about the Sabbath being like the tree of knowledge of good and evil, both attest 
Do you hear its aid in holiness in that quote? Or do you hear more rules, legal requirements, behavior? What do you hear in that quote? Is it harder to hear the aiding and holiness in that quote? When the terms rules are used, yes. When, when language like, um, as the tree of knowledge was a test for Adam's obedience, so the fourth commandment is a test that God would give to prove the loyalty of all his people. Do you hear that as aiding and holiness, or do you hear that more as a rule? Examination. Yes. I'm getting ready to um, be recertified in a certain part of my job, and as a result, I'm taking weekly tests, those tests are aiding me in getting better at knowing who I am and what I know. Well, I like where you're going with this very much. Very much where you're going with this. Okay, so let's consider this quote and see if you see. This is from the same author. This is from Ellen White. This is from Conflict and Courage, page 33. So the same author that wrote the one I just read, and this is what many people don't do. This is a real dysfunction in many people's minds that they will pluck a quote from somebody and they will use it in isolation rather than making the quote fit and harmonize with all the totality of Scripture and their other writings. So the same person that I just read wrote this as well. Notice this. God might have created man without the power to transgress his law. He might, this is a conflict and courage, page 33. He might have withheld the hand of Adam from touching the forbidden fruit. But in that case, man would not, uh, in that case, man would not have been, excuse me, I'm going to start over. But in that case, man would have been not a free moral agent, but a mere automaton. That means robot. Without freedom of choice, his obedience would not have been voluntary, but forced. Now watch this one. There could have been no development of character. It would have been unworthy of man as an intelligent being and would have sustained Satan's charge of God's arbitrary rule to not have that tree there. See, is what you hear described here, this test, this this trial, what kind of test and trial? Is it a legal issue or is it an exercise of one's ability? The law of exertion. See, if you don't use it, you lose it. But when you choose and make choices, you actually change yourself. Neurobiologically, characterologically, when you are presented with issues, ideas, concepts, and you think about them and you choose Something happens in your brain. Things change when you make those choices. Do you see those types of changes as a legal problem, a legal situation, or design how things actually work? Yes? What about Jesus keeping the Sabbath? If he was supposedly supposed to be perfect, was it he kept it so that he would have a perfect character? How do we see him keeping the Sabbath? What did he do on the Sabbath? He broke practically all the regulations. Practically all the rules of the Sabbath, Jesus broke. He healed chronic illnesses. 38 years the man's paralyzed. 38 years. You couldn't wait till Sunday to do that. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. You couldn't do it yesterday on Friday. Why did you have to do it on Sabbath and break our law? Not only did you break our law in healing the dude, you told him to pick his mat up and carry it. What are you thinking, Jesus? Don't you understand? You're not supposed to work. And look at your disciples. They're pulling heads of grain. What are they doing harvesting on Sabbath? You, you, you don't know anything about the law. We've got rules. You've got to keep them. Notice, Jesus was a perfect Sabbath keeper. 
Because he was perfect all week long in keeping God's law. Get your mind around that. Sabbath keeping truly, and we're going to get to it. I'd want to build on this, but I'll just tell you the headline. You can't keep Sabbath one day out of seven. If you try to keep Sabbath one day out of seven, you're missing the point. I like the way you say because God, the Bible said we need to, he wants us to love the law in our heart more than one day. That's right. If you keep the Sabbath right through the week, you're going to be a good Christian. So we need to be So back to this question of that language, it's a test. It was a test of of loyalty. Just like the, the, did you see then connecting that with this idea of Adam and Eve without that question, without that opportunity to test their thinking, to test their reasoning, to test their power of decision making, to test the choice they would make, to test what they love, to test what they would prefer. They had to make the choice. And in choosing, now let me ask you this, Adam and Eve prior to sin, in the garden as God made them, did they have the power in themselves to choose to develop a perfect and righteous and holy character? Yes, they did. They had the power prior to sin. They were created to resist and they could have rejected Satan. They could have solidified in loyalty to God. They could have developed a perfect, righteous, holy character in their own strength. But instead, they chose The opposite, they chose to believe lies about God and they corrupted themselves and they developed a fear-based, self-centered character instead. Do we have the power in our strength to make choices to develop by ourselves, in our own strength, a perfect, righteous character? We do not. Do we have the power to make a choice to trust Jesus and in cooperation with him have a joint effort going on where the Spirit's working in us to heal and cleanse us and restore us to righteousness? Yes, we do. Notice that. So back to this question then. This is not describing an arbitrary test of behavior, do or don't, okay? This is describing how reality works where you test your decision-making, your heart's affections, and you choose where you place your trust. That's the test. So we're being tested to exercise our choice to trust Jesus, to come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We are to rest from trying to save ourselves. We rest from living in fear, including the fear of eternal loss, because we trust Jesus. And the Sabbath is a day where we can each week rest, not just from employment, but from the fears of life. We can exercise our ability to think, to reflect, to celebrate, to spend time with God, realizing the true meaning of what that day represents and means because of its existence. We are changed by our choices. Not just behaviorally, neurobiologically, characterologically. Truth sets us free. It actually changes us, the the things you believe and think. God cannot choose the truth for you or me. Did you hear what I said? God cannot choose the truth for you or me. He presents the truth to you and me, but we're left free to choose it. We must choose it. We must participate in it. And then when we do choose to tr- the truth and to trust, then the indwelling spirit comes and begins doing a work to change our desires, our longings, uh, give us more wisdom, give us more insight, bring us to more points of choice. I don't know if you've noticed in your walk with the spirit, you've been brought to points of choice. Choose this, choose that. 
And, and if you get stuck on a point, your growth in, in godliness is stalled until you make the choice you know you need to make. And then you grow more. The Sabbath is a resource, a bastion of heavenly truth that we can ingest and experience God's healing power to make us holy. Yes? And God brings us around and around and around back to it. That's right. And if we, if we don't get it, he keeps like, okay, let me give you another shot at it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That comes around. You, you hand back in the back somewhere? No. I'm sure you're going to bring this up at the very end. <coughs> Exodus 31, 13. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, share it. It says the Sabbath is a sign that God does the work in us. That makes us holy. Yes. Sanctifies us, makes us holy. That's what I've been saying. It's a, it's an evidence. But, but does God make people holy who don't trust him? No. 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 We have to have trust in him. Can't. He can't make people holy who he don't trust to, him. But he can't. Yeah, he would love to. That's exactly right. But he, but he can't. So back to that question, what's the purpose of the Sabbath? It was made for man. And I really, every time you think that, I think the YMCA was made for people. The people were not made for YMCA. The Sabbath was made for man. It's an, it's a tool. It's a resource. It's a, it's an asset that God has constructed for our need. Going back to angels not needing the Sabbath pre-creation, do you think that the law of restoration still applies to those beings? Do you think that they need some sort of a some sort of a rest from their labors, and not not like a night, good night's sleep, but but you think that applies to all created beings? The law of restoration. Uh, it, the law of restoration is after you expend a resource as a finite being, you need to rest and recover to assimilate more of the resource before you can expend more. So after uh, running a marathon, even an Olympic winner has to rest and recover before they can run. A baseball pitcher has to rest before he can pitch again. You've been uh, working as a psychotherapist eight hours and treating patients. You have to rest before you can do some more. I can tell you that. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Oh, but that's so that's so tiring. Um, but 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 this idea. Let me finish the point you made. The law of restoration. Um, on Earth, we live in a world in which we are s- separated from God's unveiled life-giving glory. So we really have a, a, a place in time now where we are in this bubble of reality. This bubble of reality. God has carved out of His universe an artificial bubble of reality. We operate in a way the rest of the heavenly universe doesn't operate. They operate living in God's life-giving glory. Adam and Eve did prior to sin, but as soon as they sinned, there was a veil put between God and us where we can't stand right now in His life-giving glory. In the end, the earth made new. There's no need for a sun to light the earth because God's presence will be its light. This becomes the center of the universe. We live in his unveiled glory. So the law of restoration applies, but we're constantly receiving in a constant way. We never, I think, become deficient at that point. Any sort of need for rest. Yes, because we're we're connected to an infinite source at that point. Fair enough. What is the key to true Sabbath observance? The key, in my view, is the truth about God. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's a sign or an evidence. So let's unpack that. The Sabbath was given at what time in universal history? Or the earth was created. You could say it that way. The earth was created at what time in universal history? What was happening in the rest of the universe? The great controversy. War. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels uh, fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. They weren't strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon hurled down the ancient serpent called devil or Satan, who leads the whole world. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. 
What kind of war was this? The Greek here is polemo, from where we get polemic. And a polemic is a war of, war of words or ideas. Satan is the father of lies. This is not a physical war in heaven. This is a war of concepts, ideas, beliefs, attitudes, centering in the core issue. It was an attack on Christ's authority, but the core issue under that was God's law. How does God run his universe? And Satan's allegation was God makes up rules. Rules just because he's powerful. And he'll punish you if you break his rules. That was the core. That's it. God's laws aren't design laws. There's not the laws by which reality are built. And remember 2 Corinthians 10, that we live in the war- world, we don't wage war as the world does. We demolish, we have heavenly weapons or to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument, pretension that sets itself up against, key issue in the war, the knowledge of God. That's it. That's what the war's over. So, war over knowledge of God, can you trust him? Is he worthy of our love? Is he worthy of our devotion? Because what God wants from you, he wants your love. He wants your trust. He wants your loyalty. He wants your devotion. And can any being, any being get love, trust, loyalty by threatening to kill those who don't love, trust, and give them loyalty? Get your mind around that. That's why Christianity is broken. That's why Paul says at the end of time we'll have a form of godliness but no power. Because the world teaches, just listen to Christian radio, teaches that if you don't accept the blood payment of Jesus in your behalf, God will punish you with an eternal torment or punish you with with killing you for eternity. Either way, God is basically saying, love me or I'll kill you. And it never works. It incites rebellion. It closes heart. It undermines trust. And most of Christians believe doctrines that function. Here's the core function that they're doing. Hiding and protecting us from God. Covered in the robe of righteousness is taught as, when the Father looks at me, he can't see me because I'm covered with Jesus' robe. Or washed in the blood. The blood has cleansed my record in heaven. And when the God opens a book, it's like a magic eraser ink and it just erases everything so there's no record he can't or I have an mediator who stands me pleading to the Father so I went look at all these doctrines and what they're doing they're, they're teaching people you can't trust God you gotta do something to God you gotta propitiate him you gotta, gotta, you gotta appease him you gotta do something to, to hide the reality from him because if he sees it boy he's got anger management problems he blasts out in anger and wrath and he destroys can't hold himself in check Jesus is there to plead to him I mean you see the corruption it's so fraudulent. And I will tell you, I, I, get, I get opposed all over the world where I go to speak by church leaders who absolutely endorse this view of God and hate what I teach because they believe with, with, a, with, a, with a conviction and a zealousness that justice requires God to use his power to torment and kill. But only as long as you deserve and it's corruption, and it's based on this imperial law model. So this is what was happening in heaven. Satan is distorting God's character. God wants our love, trust, and loyalty. So in heaven, when Satan begins deceiving angels, how does God respond to that? If, if, if somebody says about any person, if you don't love them and if you're not loyal to them, they'll kill you, how does that person respond? If that person responds with, having a, a, a big meeting and threatening you, does that undo the lie? Or does it reinforce the lie? So how could God respond? Did he respond with power? Did he respond with threats? Did he respond? See, he had the power, didn't he? 
But he didn't do it. What did he do instead? Let there be light. Let there be light. Let the firmament come forth. And remember, where was Satan cast out to? The earth. He's got a front row seat now. He's watching. Let the, let the firmament come forth and so forth and so on. And on day six, let us make man in our image. Let them be fruitful and multiply. And so he creates, guys, he creates a microcosm of the universe. The microcosm, he creates a new creation, Adam and Eve, in unity with God, two beings coming into the unity of love to procreate, to create beings in their own image. We have a representation of the Godhead, and they have been given dominion to govern the earth, and they have lots of creatures that are beneath them in intelligence and capacities, but they were to govern this earth, and it was God's design that Adam and Eve would govern it operationally by living out his design laws of love and truth and freedom. And that's how they would govern and they would have children in love and they wouldn't extort, they wouldn't abuse, they wouldn't, they would give of themselves constantly. So God gave evidence day one through six. He begins creating a world and everything in this world operates on the law of love. All ecosystems operate on the principle of giving. You break that anywhere in a system, death happens. God is teaching how he built reality. His, how his universe works. He's giving real evidence. Satan alleges, guys, I never said he wasn't powerful. Of course he's powerful. He's just not trustworthy with the power. He's intimidating. He's intimidating with all this creation, and he's showing you that he can replace you with new intelligences. He's not trustworthy. You can't trust him. He's just trying to intimidate, get you, get you afraid of him, so you'll bow the knee. And so God says, universe, you've seen, heard the allegations. You've seen the evidence that we've provided. Now, universe, take 24 hours aside. I rest my case. See, what does it say about God that in the context of an assault on his worthiness to govern or rule, instead of using power to coerce or force or threaten or imprison, he instead creates a new day and time and space for people to have freedom to think. Get your mind around that. It's amazing. Yes. And another example of that God was Jesus at the Last Supper. When the verse before the one that says he took off his outer garments and washed all his disciples' feet, it says that Jesus, knowing that all all power in heaven and earth had been given to him, took off his outer garments and washed his disciples' feet. This is another example of the kind of God we worship. What does he do with the power? Not only does he create, but he serves. And every single one of those people, not just Judas, but every single one of those people denied him or deserted him or betrayed him that very same day. And yet he he washed all their feet with all his power. Because they didn't fully understand the kingdom of God. They were looking for an imperialistic God, and he was weak. Weak people wash feet. They want a strong people who will sit on the throne and make other people wash his feet. And so they really hadn't fully got the message yet of the kingdom. Yes? So is the creation of this world different than the other creations in the sense that, you know, I've thought in the past that there would probably be a tree at every other creation. But as you're just laying it out today, it makes me think that maybe that tree represented the evidence for those unfallen beings. So my understanding is Adam and Eve in this planet represents the evidence, and every intelligent being, whether it was a tree or something else, were given something very much like a tree. Ellen White says they all had their own tree of knowledge of good and evil on all the planets uh, because they all had to make a decision on 
what, how they were going to solidify their heart once the questions were, were raised. Do you believe God is like Satan says he is? Do you believe God is like Jesus reveals him to be? This is the decision all intelligent beings have to make on their own. Every other universe, every other planet, every other creation chose loyalty to God. Adam and Eve chose to believe the lies. Now, but this creation, my understanding, is a unique creation because this world was made in the context and it was the pinnacle of God's creation. It was the the place where God shared his creative power and his dominion and authority with a created being to govern other, other beings, not in their exact image, but beneath them, the animals and so forth. And so this is a unique creation, but I think all the, all of the intelligences had to make that choice. So the Sabbath, the purpose, day one through six of creation week reveals God is powerful. That's what we learn. God is powerful. Day seven, we learn the character of the one who wields the power. That he steps back, he doesn't coerce, he presents truth, truth was presented all week long, in love and leaves us free. So the character of the one who wields the power is revealed in the Sabbath. You see, if, Sa- if God was like Satan alleged, there would be no Sabbath. There would be get in line or else. And so the imperial law view, the penal substitutionary law view that says God has made up a law and if you don't keep it, he's got to punish you, is Satan's view of God. Can I say it any clearer? If God were like that, there would be no Sabbath. He would have simply said, here's my law, keep it. If you're not going to keep it, I'm going to punish you. There would be no freedom to think. So all week long, we are to remember the Sabbath to keep ourselves holy. You see, if you try to keep the Sabbath commandment, who are the true Sabbath keepers? The ones who live those methods. They present truth in love all week long in the way they live and the way they teach and leave other people free. If you begin the practice of wanting to threaten and coerce people to observe your moral standards, but you keep the seventh-day Sabbath, you're not a Sabbath keeper. Yes? One of the hallmarks of spiritualism is that there is no real difference between the holy and the profane. And so, in other words, the Sabbath makes this distinction very, very clearly for us, as we understand, through all these things that you're saying about God, I don't know if that seems to apply. So I don't see that clarity um, in the way it's practiced. I don't see that uh, the people who put Christ on the cross and went home to keep the Sabbath were on God's side. Well, I understand. But what I'm saying, truly under, properly understood... The Sabbath is that that fine cutting edge that helps you make the distinction between the sacred and the how profane. Because it is a choice of faith, it is a choice of belief. I'm going to suggest you have a point, but here's the point. You have to first know the thread that runs through all points, all, all spiritualism. If you want to identify spiritualism... In any form, tarot cards, witchcraft, voodoo, uh, any form of spiritualism, if you want to identify it, here's the key to identifying it. It is the pursuit of knowledge without the use of reason or the investigation of evidence. Like the taking of the fruit? 
It's the pursuit of knowledge. Yeah. That's right. The knowledge of good and evil that Eve was pursuing. Uh, you, why do people go to a palm reader? What are they, what, what's their reason they go? They want to know something. Why do they go to a tarot card reader? Why do they go to a, somebody who has a seance? Because they're wanting some knowledge of the other side or the future or, or what choice they It's the pursuit of knowledge without using reason, come let us reason together, or the investigation of evidence. So when we understand the Sabbath as a piece of evidence that God gives us, that reveals his character, truth presented in love, being with free, that's what the Sabbath is an evidence of, then it distinguishes because we understand it. However, Satan's goal is to obscure the evidence and have people believe based on faith without evidence. I believe, but I don't think. I just have faith. That is spiritualism. That's what that is. So yes, you're right. It can certainly stand that way, but it can also be perverted to misrepresent God as the Pharisees did. Okay? So with this in mind, what? Another another hand? Yes. That's level four below. Yes, that's exactly right. So with this in mind, we realize that God is the creator and his laws are the protocols upon which life are built. And as creator of time, God built into time a day for human health, holiness, growth, development, a day and evidence that reveals how he governs. And every seven days, every human being passes through this day, whether they're aware of what it means or not, have an opportunity every seven days to be enlightened, to be aware, to see the evidence. And that's why Satan hates the Sabbath and wants to, wants, wants to obscure its meaning or, or distort it into a legal requirement so that people feel that every seven days they're reminded that God's the one who's going to kill them if they don't keep it. See, he wants to twist it to mean a lie. Deuteronomy 4 is Moses's, Deuteronomy is Moses' last kind of commands and comments to the, to the Israelites before he goes. And Deuteronomy 4 verse 6 says, he's talking about the commands he gives and all that he passes on from God. Why? Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children, etc. But it's a little kind of a capsule of why also, in addition to beneficial to yourself... Why it's also beneficial. The Israelites weren't just a group to be saved. Abraham showed they were a group to show yeah. what God was really like. And if they had lived according to the play, <laughs> to the uh, to the, the script, to the script, they would have shown the nations this. But instead, they kept you know veering from it all the time and showing other wrong things about God. So within Christianity, there are two historic days of worship: Sabbath and Sunday. These two days stand as a banner, a sign, a pennant, a mark, a flag of two divergent systems of governing. Just as the U.S. flag right up here, the grand old stars and stripes, is a symbol or sign of the United States. Anywhere in the world you go with that flag, everybody knows what it represents. It represents the United States of America. 
So too, these two days are signs or flags which represent two systems of governing. This is the key. Many Adventists don't get it at all. The flag is not the United States of America. It's simply a symbol, a sign, an evidence of the United States of America. And a person can wave the flag of the United States and be an enemy of the United States. In World War II, Nazi soldiers put on American uniforms with the American flag on it and infiltrated uh, American lines to sow discord and uh, undermine what we were trying to do over there. They wore our flag. They were not for our country. Conversely, there were people wearing the Nazi uniform who were working against Hitler, trying to undermine what they were doing. Just because someone waves a particular flag doesn't mean they support what the flag stands for. Likewise, Sabbath and Sunday are signs of two signs, flags, evidences of two divergent systems of governing. The Sabbath is a day of rest by creation, by design. It was made, constructed, built by God as a day of rest. So the Sabbath is an evidence of design law. How God's reality works. The creator and his laws are the laws upon which reality works. Sunday became a day of rest by legislation. And it's an evidence of imperialism and imperial law. Therefore, that's what Sunday is a mark of. So these two days of worship signify, or, uh, by the, signify what their origins and their establishment were, just like the U.S. flag is a symbol of the United States. But these two systems of worship are not the governments they represent. That's not what they are. So a person could be a Sabbath keeper, but practice and teach imperial law model and teach the Sabbath breaking requires God to inflict punishment upon the violator of the law. That person would be like the German soldier taking on the U.S. uniform, infiltrating God's church to sow discord and confusion. They would not be on God's team, but they would be religious traitors to the government of God, the most egregious example of this would be the Sabbath keepers who crucified Jesus. They were not on God's team, but they were waving God's flag. Does anybody have a problem with what I'm saying? Because I will tell you, I don't think one out of ten Adventists understand this. But they also were so entrenched in the lies that they thought that they were the righteous people. Conversely, a person who worships on Sunday might promote love while leaving other people free without coercion, which means they're waving the Sabbath flag. They're like the Nazi soldiers working against Hitler's regime. So the real question is, who do we understand God to be? Do you understand him to be the designer and creator and his laws are the laws upon which reality are built? Or do you see him as an imperial dictator who makes up rules and enforces those rules with threats of punishment? Just like the church in the Dark Ages. Okay, we're going to Sunday's lesson. The lesson <laughs> takes, Exodus, uh, talk, takes us to Exodus 16, in which the children of Israel, uh, having come out of Egypt, are given manna and is collected every day of the week. And on Friday, they get a double portion because none is given on Sabbath. It, it rots if you try to keep it overnight on the days of the week. It is uh, kept fresh on Friday when you get a double portion and none is given on Sabbath. Um, the, uh, 
The lesson wants us to know that by doing this, God was demonstrating the importance of the Sabbath and establishing which day of the seven-day cycle is the Sabbath. And the Jewish people have been observing the Sabbath in the same weekly cycle from generation to generation to generation since that time. And so there's really no question about what day of the week is the Sabbath day. Some people try to go, oh, the calendar's changed, this, that, and the other. Just look at which day the Jews are keeping. They've been keeping it generation to generation. But even if Christians have a problem, they say, oh, no, but the calendar's changed. Just say, what day did Jesus rise from the dead on? Easter Sunday, they all know. And what was the day before Easter Sunday, according to Scripture? The Sabbath, which is Saturday. So there's no real question about which day of the week the Sabbath is for any thinking, reasonable person. The question today is not which day it is, but what's what's its significance? What purpose does it have? Why was it given? Does it have any benefit or application to us today? And what is the significance of changing the day Christians believe God made holy? What's the significance of that? And that's the big deal, guys. You've got to understand this. The fact that the day of worship for Christians was changed is also not up for debate amongst any thinking people who do any, know anything about history and look at the evidence. All theologians of all Christian denominations agree that the first two and a half centuries, Christians observed the Jewish Sabbath. Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night, sunset. That's how Christians did it for the first two and a half centuries. They all agree that, that, that the Sunday started to be observed uh, in Rome and, and eventually became solidified under Constantine. And then the church eventually, in legislation of the church um, rules, made Sunday the day. So what is the significance of this change? And this is the significance you really need to understand. Why does a church committee, and any church today, not vote that on bad smog days their members don't have to breathe? Why don't they ever take that vote in their committee? Because they can't make that kind of change, and it's meaningless to try. Because that's a design law. So what does it mean that a church committee changed the commandment? It means they don't see it as design law. Which means that before the commandment was changed, before this worship day was changed, Christians became infected with imperialism, that God's law runs like Rome's law, a system of rules. And that's, and the change of the Sabbath to Sunday is the evidence of that corruption. Because if they still saw God's law as design law, there'd have been no change. You can't change that. But they don't. They see it as a system of rules. And look at the difference now. And when that change made, the the change from God's laws to the design laws and God through his design laws, through Jesus is working to restore in us what's broken in us, to heal us back to his design. That's the New Testament church. How did the New Testament church function? How did they treat people around them? How did they treat people who didn't believe? How did the first and second century Christians function? When they came under attack by the state and were put in the arenas, how did they function? How did they treat their oppressors? You know the history, don't you? They're operating on design law, the law of love. They're leaving people free. They do not love their life so much as to shrink from death, Revelation 12, 11. But what happened to Christianity when they exchanged design law for imperialism? And God's law works like human law, the system of rules that must be enforced. What happened? The Dark Ages. Crusades. Inquisitions. Coercion. Burning people at the stake. Torture of all kinds in the name of Jesus Christ. Enforced religious observances. Indulgences that you could buy your way out of sin and you could abuse your neighbor as long as you paid the church enough money because it's just arbitrary rules and somebody has to pay. 
Various works and penances and pilgrimages, all to earn merits with God. Do you see the complete corruption of humanity when design law was replaced with imperial law? Yes, the blackness of the selfish heart. The Jews in Christ's day who kept the Sabbath as a legal requirement would not help, would not help sick people upon it. They were not Sabbath keepers. They were Sabbath breakers because they represented the day as an imposed rule. And I will tell you, all Adventists who keep the Sabbath and present it as an imposed rule that God will punish you for for breaking are not Sabbath keepers. They're misrepresenting it as imperialism. Exodus 16, where you're talking about, where the lesson's talking about the Israelites and the Sabbath being separate by the manna. It's interesting, just as an aside, that each one gathered as much as they needed, it says. So some people gathered little, some people gathered more, but each gathered as much as they needed, and there was enough. God already knew what everyone was going to need. Just like the feeding of the 5,000, it says, and everybody had everything, all they wanted, and there was still some left over. Enough for each of the disciples to have a basket left over. And I think, you know, one of the things we also need to add about an understanding of the Sabbath is that it is to provide that no matter what we need, how desperate the need is, or if the closer we get to God, we need this manna. And some of us take or need more than others, but God knows exactly how much you need and is prepared to fill whatever that need is. And I just like it that it mentions specifically some people took a bunch, some people took a little, but everyone had all they needed. When we represent the Sabbath as an arbitrary test of obedience and God has set up a rule that he must enforce with punishment, we're representing the Sabbath like the Jews did 2,000 years ago. Having the right day, but having the wrong law and the wrong God. And then we're not spreading the three angels' message when we do that, but we're perpetuating the system of the beast. I'm putting it in those terms because it's the truth. When you present God as the source of pain, source of suffering, source of inflicted death, you're presenting a beastly system, but you've got the right day of the week. You feel good about that? And you wonder why the Lord hasn't come. Because we have not taken the three angels' messages to the world. And the three angels' messages are calling people to worship him who made the heavens, the sea, the earth, and all that in the midst. It's calling to worship the designer and not this dictator. Uh, moving on. What is the, what, I want to ask the deeper meaning of the symbolism of the manna, which is in the lesson for today. Uh, what does the manna represent? God will provide. God will provide. What else? God's grace. Substance, God's grace. Bread of life. Bread of life. Jesus specifically said that he was the bread that came down from heaven. Specifically in the question when they said, Moses gave us manna, what are you going to I am the bread that came down from heaven. He calls himself the manna. Jesus, I think, is the bread of life. He actually says in John 6.30, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. He, will ne- he who believes in me will never be thirsty. It's John 6.35. God created, and what do we learn then about the, the enactment of collecting all week and double portion on Friday, but eating on Sabbath? You know, God created showing power during creation week of six days. And then he rested, giving people free to contemplate. All week long, God uses power to create manna. All week long, miraculous work. God is working. But then God again rests. 
stops working. God stops using his power, but provided for them so they won't go hungry, so that they can contemplate and reflect on this God who is powerful. Again, the Sabbath. And then Christ does his work. And of course it says, not by might nor by power, but how the spirit works. And God wants our love, our loyalty, our devotion. And this is why he presents truth in love, leaving us free, always free, always free. (coughs) And I am so sensitive to movements in Christianity across this country where people are being motivated by supposedly good motives to go out and coerce other people to observe their religious rules. It's not how God works. Truth and love win the heart. Win the heart. Win the heart. Monday's lesson points out that the Ten Commandments were given twice. That the Sabbath commandment was slightly different with two reasons for it. First one, because God was the creator is why the Sabbath was given. Uh, And the second one, because God delivered them from slavery. And the lesson points out that God did this in this way to emphasize that God is our creator and redeemer. Well, no doubt God is our creator and redeemer. That's not up for question. Well, if that was the reason, why didn't he put that reason in the first set? What, he wasn't able? Didn't have enough room on the stone? He wasn't able to have a little smaller font? Where he could say, hey, I brought you out of the remembrance of it because I'm not only the creator, I'm your deliverer. If he wanted that to be the reason, why didn't he put both? He was, and then on the second set, just repeat it like he did all the other nine. He just repeated them. Why didn't he put that in there if that was truly the reason that he had these differences? I don't think it's the primary intention. They were rebelling at the time. They were wanting to go back to So was God then depending on Israel to rebel so he could get both his reasons out? And if they would have accepted them at the first set and then just been loyal, he would have said, oh, God, I missed my opportunity. I needed to put that in the first one. I forgot. He began the first. I need them to rebel so I can get both reasons. He began the they first set with, I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. They, they needed it. Yeah, that, yes. So, out of Egypt means freedom. I mean, God is reinforcing the freedom because being pulled out of slavery, even if you wander around in the desert for a while because of your own misdeeds, but God pulled them out of slavery and he's now tacking on that reason. Here's another evidence. I make you free. Guys, where does God want to bring each one of us? Home. So what does he want us to know? His character So he wants us to know his character, which means we have to know his law, which his law is what kind of law? So the first set, remember the Sabbath day, for I am, for, in six days Lord created the heavens and the earth. He's pointing to creation. And what kind of law does creation operate upon? Design. Design law. And they didn't like it. What they wanted is they wanted, they wanted a God of the earth. They worshiped a golden calf. They were so immature, they couldn't comprehend level seven, friend of God. Level seven, friend of God, understands design law and enjoys and participates in God's purposes. They couldn't understand it. God was trying to, so what did God say? Okay, I'll meet you where you are, level one thinkers, reward and punishment. Remember, I'm powerful. I destroyed all those gods of Egypt with power. So I'm more powerful. Worship me, the powerful one who can reward and punish. Level one, moral understanding. He met them where they were. This is my understanding as to why that commandments are different. He wanted, he showed them his ideal. It's too much for them. They couldn't handle it. They didn't want it. They wanted something of the world. And so he meets them where they are with the golden calf. 
And today, stone because their hearts were stone. Yeah, yeah. I think the second set was written because the people refused the enlightenment of the first. And this same thing happened since Sinai, since Jesus Christ, when today people prefer gods of this world, which operate on imperial law and teach Christians that God's law functions like we do, and God is a source of inflicted pain, and in the hereafter, in the judgment, God's going to use his pain as his, his power to punish. This is a God of this world, and this is what people are still preferring. Level four and below. Yes, you had a hand? To bring uh, it back to what Wendell said before about the test and the opportunity to reflect on the God that gives us freedom. And then coming back to that being about relationship, that being about the opportunity to reflect on who can be trusted, on who has been there for us since the beginning, on who gave the original, it's because I created you and I wanted you to have this freedom. And know that I am the creator and how I run my universe. Truth, present, and love, leaving people free. Quickly, in Tuesday's lesson points out that the Sabbath is a day that, that when all are equal, in that no person has the power to mandate a subordinate to work, not even animals. That's what the lesson said. That's what the, that's what the coming. Hmm, I thought about that. Does that mean animals are equal to humans? So animal sacrifice is really human sacrifice? Hmm, something's not right with that idea. I'm, I'm struggling with it. Um, if Sabbath is a day that teaches equality, then why did the Jews during this time have slaves? And arranged marriages. <laughs> the lesson points out the Sabbath law would prohibit an employer from forcing an employee from working on the Sabbath. What about an employee who wants to work on the Sabbath? What about that? Is that okay? What about firemen, EMTs, ER docs, uh, nurses, people who keep the electricity operating, so we have air conditioning in this room today? What about them? Should, uh, if you were in charge of a society, if you were the one, you were a king, you were in a, in a monarchy, and you set the laws in your monarchy, would you set laws that everybody has to stay in their house and nobody's allowed to work on the Sabbath? No ER, no EMTs, no fire department, no electricity. Everything shuts down, and everybody stays in their house every week. Or they can walk as far as they can walk, because you can't, can't go to get gas and stuff like that. Nobody's working. Desire of Ages 207 says, uh, and man also has a work to perform on the Sabbath day. <laughs> the necessities of life must be attended to. The sick must be cared for. The wants of the needy must be supplied. He, he will not be held guiltless who neglects to relieve suffering on the Sabbath. God's holy, day, holy rest day was made for man. And acts of mercy are in perfect harmony with its intent. God does not desire his creatures to suffer an hour's pain that may be relieved upon the Sabbath or any other day. The point being is, God's law is a law of love. So every work of love should be carried out on the Sabbath that you want to carry out, that you're moved by the Spirit to carry out. This idea of a rule system in imperialism, it obstructs love. It gets you focused on self, the do's and those. Oh, am I allowed to do this? Oh, the water went over my knee. Oh, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. It, lives, it, it incites fear. It destroys love. It's what imperialism does. What about, and, and it was mentioned earlier, what about the injunction of the Sabbath commandment, not the negative injunction, but the positive injunction. The negative, thou shalt not work. The positive, six days you shall labor and do all your work. That's also in the commandment. Is it sin, if it is sin to labor on the Sabbath day, 
Is it sin to not labor the other six days? <laughs> Some of you look a little uncomfortable. No weekend? Is idleness a sin? Failure to engage in meaningful, useful, industrious activity. Did God design, back to design law, did he design human beings for activity, for work, for the use of our energies to build, to organize, to plant, to harvest, to create, to help, to do meaningful activity? It doesn't mean making money. It means investing oneself in something of value. It might be writing, music, drawing, painting, sculpting, gardening, researching, homemaking, cooking, but something that requires an investment of one's energies and abilities. What happens to people who don't have anything meaningful to do? Will they grow? Will they advance? Will they mature? Will they develop? Will they, or will they lose abilities and lose spiritual and mental maturity if they have nothing constructive to do? What law is at work in what I just described? The law of exertion. And sin is transgression of the law. A life of lethargy, idleness, laziness, slothfulness is destructive to the person. And that's why it's sin. It breaks God's design. It's not that he has a rule and he's going to punish you for it. The punishment is inherent. You're destroying your own capacities and abilities by refusing to use them. It's the parable of the talents. The one given 10, invested them, got 10 more. The one given 5, invested them. Their abilities, their talents, not money. And they got more. The one that had one talent didn't use it, buried it, and he lost it. If you don't use it, you... This is design law. It's not an imperial rule enforced by a powerful dictator. There's more in the lesson, but we're going to have to close. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you so much as our creator, the designer and builder and sustainer of the universe. Lord, so many hearts and minds have been deeply infected with the lies about you that you run your universe like a dictator just making up rules and become the source of pain and suffering from whom we need protection we know that's a lie we know that's not true we know that through jesus you have provided the remedy to restore us to perfect unity with you we ask that your spirit will be poured out and lighten and power transform us and open avenues for this message to go forward remove the obstacles in the way that are stopping it so the final message of mercy can lighten the world and we can see you face to face in your holy name amen